0: You know, it's always something when we have moments like what we had this morning, Um, coming up here with the prepared message always just feels like it's not enough, right? And I don't know how to explain that, but I do know this, that it has been a beautiful morning of worship, amen? Amen. But, as you can see in your bulletin, uh, my initial plan was to jump through the first 26 verses of uh, chapter 1 of, or chapter 21, I can't even get my mind straight after all that. Uh, (laughs) To go through the first 26 verses of chapter 21 of Acts was my initial plan. Well, that's not going to happen this morning um we're actually just going to be looking at the first 16 verses uh when I got to writing and I got about halfway through I started to get this voice in my head that that sounded a lot like pastor Tim last week when he said we must respect the time of our children's church teachers and I figured well I'm already about half an hour in if I keep going I'm going to be about an hour and I know that they're not going to appreciate that very much so uh I want to apologize that the bulletin is a little bit incorrect. That's on me. Um, But I will say that we are moving right along in Acts at this point, right? Uh, We'll be in chapter 21 this morning, and that really means that we only have a few chapters left here. Um, And that means that we may actually finish Acts this year, amen? (laughs) But uh, this morning, we're going to really get the setup uh, for the rest of the book of Acts. We'll see a few familiar faces, and we're going to talk once again about Paul's courage in the face of adversity in the church. We have a lot of ground to cover, so I want to jump right in this morning. Um, So if you want to open up Acts 21, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from, there, and from there, Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there had end, were ending, ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with their wives and children, accompanied, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed, and there said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home, Amen. So we have a lot of traveling here in this first section, and there's a couple things that I want to uh, get into specific specifically here, right? The first one being in verse one. It says, "When and when we had parted from them." The phrase that we translate here as "had parted" doesn't really give the full story, all right? The the Greek word here, uh, apospao, yes, apospao is most literally translated to tear away, right? This is how tough this departure was for everybody involved. And this really fits with what we read in chapter 20, verses 37 and 38, right? We read that there was much weeping on the part of all and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. This was an emotional time for everyone, right? They embraced Paul, knowing that they were never gonna see him again. And that's a tough thing to grasp for anybody, isn't it? Pastor Neil is gonna be here next week preaching. I'm sure in a way there there was some of that same feeling on his last Sunday here. Not exactly, obviously, because he comes periodically and preaches and talks with everybody. But I'm sure that there was still a lot of embracing, a lot of crying sharing appreciation for, for the ministry work that he had done here. It's a normal thing for, for that to occur, right? It's a very human reaction that that happens in these circumstances. But nonetheless, Paul, like Neil and many other people in ministry, did have to leave to continue his mission for Christ. And sometimes that's, that's just the flow of ministry, Amen. They travel through these different cities, switching ships along the way, and it looks like there's probably, it's probably a good amount of cargo ships, uh, and they end up in Tyre. And here's something interesting and and possibly confusing to some happens, right? Paul finds followers of Jesus in Tyre, and we read in verse 4 that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So on its face, we have a little bit of conflicting information here, right? Paul has been being led by the Spirit to go through Jerusalem on his way to Rome. But these disciples here tell Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. There's a distinction here, right? Normally, when Luke tells of a prophecy or a leading that came from the Holy Spirit, he uses the words by or in. But here he uses the word through. And I know that that may seem like a very unimportant, small detail, but it's actually very important to understand what's going on. The word through here, what it actually implies is that they were speaking based on revelation and not speaking the revelation. The Holy Spirit revealed the dangers that were ahead for Paul to these disciples, and they interpreted this revelation as a warning and told Paul that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But Paul had already received his orders directly from the Holy Spirit to go on to Jerusalem on his way to Rome. And Paul is not failing to listen or, or ignoring what the Holy Spirit says when they say this to him. Sometimes when, when we get a leading from God, telling us to to do something or or say something to somebody, we can get it wrong, right? We can mistake the person. We can, like here, misinterpret the message a little bit. God isn't wrong in that scenario. We are. And if we're not careful, we can misrepresent what God has placed before us. Not out of a place of evil intent, but because we get this sort of sentimental feeling right, about the guidance of the Holy Spirit sometimes. We think about it, and and we can't imagine that trials and and difficulties could ever be the Lord's will for people, especially the the people that we love, right? So we, in our human nature, will try and shield people from those things, because we think that it's just not possible that that would be inside God's will. My friends, that's wrong. Sometimes God is going to call us to suffer a little bit. That's just what it is. No matter what what your favorite uh, TV preacher may tell you, God is not only concerned with you being happy, healthy, and wealthy, amen? Trials, tribulations, and sometimes pain are the path of the Christian life. We don't like to hear that as 21st century Christians in America, but it's the truth. There is a, a, a theology of suffering that we don't talk enough about sometimes, and it has created kind of this false narrative about what Christianity can be. And we're on Lent, so, so it's the perfect example of this, right? Church, do not think that just because God wants to bring you joy that you will never be going through the wilderness, that you will never be tempted through the wilderness. If it even happened to Jesus, it will surely happen to you. Paul's guidance by the Spirit was to go to Rome through Jerusalem. Paul knew what was going to happen to him there. And it was by his raw courage that has been given to him by the Holy Spirit, which we talked about so often for Paul, right? This is such a standard thing. We've been talking about the courage that he has from the very first missionary journey that he went on the people that he was willing to talk to, the situations that he was willing to go into, that's all the Holy Spirit working through him. He moved ahead, accepting this counsel, but, but not turning away from his clearly set course, no matter what was going to happen to him. And we can only pray for that type of courage. And notice here, this didn't cause any division between these brothers. It says here in verse 5, when our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. That's beautiful. They still all prayed together and loved on one another with whole families included as Paul left the city. Because even though that there was a disagreement, and I'm sure it was a major disagreement in the end, they were still family in Christ. And that's the way it should be, amen? Let's continue on here, uh, verses, starting in verse seven. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Tamales, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people, when we heard this, we and the people urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul then answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he could not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Amen. more travel in here, uh, but we also see a, a, a few familiar names, right? Philip and Agabus. You realize, you'll possibly remember Philip from Acts chapter 8, baptizing the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. Chapter 8 also tells us that after Philip's help in bringing this man to faith, that he preached through the coastal region and ended up in Caesarea. And he's still there, and this has been about 28 years later. It says here that Philip was one of the seven. You may remember from Acts chapter 6, uh, where the seven deacons were commissioned by the church to take care of the widows and distribute food in the community. Right? He has been, a, has been a living out of his faith from the very beginning of the church. We see that he was either already married or has since become married and has four daughters who, <clears throat> who prophesied. And there's some implications here about, about women in ministry. Um, mainly that the Holy Spirit makes no distinction based on somebody's gender and the distribution of the spiritual gifts. We see that all over the Bible, right? It's the Galatians passage that myself and Pastor Tim have started quoting quite often recently, right? From Galatians 3. Uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And there's prophetic witness to what we have here, right? Joel chapter 2, uh, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward, talking about the days of pity for Israel, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prosper shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall, shall see visions. Man, that shall see, is, throws me off every time. <laughs> Even the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And there's massive debates in the church about what this means in, relations to, in relation to other texts that we see talking about women in ministry, but one thing is for certain. Both men and women are gifted by God for his mission in the church. Amen? We see another familiar face here in Agabus, right? This is the same Agabus from Acts chapter 11 that we read about that gives the the prophecy of the famine that would hit the church in Jerusalem. And this was the, the first time that we had ever seen that different churches come together in action, right? And they gave what they were able to to do to to help people get through this famine, right? And that was about 15 years before where we are now. So he has a good track record with Paul and the others. But now he comes with with another prophecy, and it is a, a prophecy that obviously nobody wanted to hear, right? Let's look at it real quick again, verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him in the hands of the Gentiles. We have another massive warning about what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. And like many of the prophets of the Old Testament that we see, Agabus actually acts out this prophecy with Paul's belt. Bounding his hands and feet, telling Paul and the others that the Jews will give him over to the Gentiles, meaning the Roman authorities. This struck some fear into the people around him, as I'm sure it would any of us, right? It says here in verse 12 that they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Some translations uh, put it as they pleaded with Paul not to go. Others say that they begged Paul not to go. This was a very real and very scary situation to them. And Paul comes back in a very emotional way, right? A very emotional reaction. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am, not, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That is so powerful. Paul is ready to die for the cause of Christ. He says this in other places in his writings, right? Philippians uh, chapter 1, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full coverage now, full courage now, we're not talking about car insurance, um, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Amen. You know, I can't help but, but see some parallels here, right, between Paul and Jesus. It's very similar to, to what we read in, in Matthew 16, right? It's right after uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, right? And it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elder, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Amen. Mm. See, Paul is living out the example that Christ put before him. And I'm sure that, that Paul has heard this story from when he was spending time in Jerusalem. He knows what has to be done for the further expansion of the gospel. And if his life is on the line, he is willing to sacrifice it for the cause. Because if they do take his life, on the other side is Jesus, amen? Amen. Verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, the will of the Lord be done. want to read this note directly from the Tony Evans Study Bible. We will frequently be unable to understand the reason God allows certain circumstances in our lives. Nevertheless, like Paul and the Lord Jesus himself, we must have hearts that submit to our king's will for our lives. That's good. That's real good. And that's no matter what God's will is. When we're reciting the Lord's Prayer and we say, Lord, your will be done. Church, we should really mean that. It shouldn't just be, Lord, your will be done as long as I like it. As long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. As long as as it doesn't hurt me. That's not the way it should be. What it should be is, Lord, no matter what it is, and to pull from Romans here, whether it be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, Lord, your will be done because absolutely nothing can separate me from you. And I put my entire life in your hands. Church, as I go and start to close this morning, I want to, I want to challenge and encourage you this morning with these four thoughts. First, be obedient to God's calling. Despite the warnings and and the pleas from the others not to go to Jerusalem due to the danger that awaited him, Paul remained obedient to God's calling for him. This shows us the, the importance of discerning God's will and being obedient to it. Even when, we, even when it may lead to, to challenging circumstances, do not be afraid to be obedient to God. Second, persevere in the faith. Paul's determination to go to Jerusalem despite the dangers shows his unwavering faith, courage, and commitment to sharing the gospel. Even in the face of persecution, even in the face of death, This, my friends, should be encouraging to us to persevere in our own faith, in our own mission, trusting that God's protection and guidance will be there for us. Third, practice sacrificial love. This This one is so important. Paul's readiness to face imprisonment and even death for the sake of the gospel is a picture of sacrificial love the same type of sacrificial love that Christ has when he got on the cross and his desire to advance God's kingdom, right? Which is something that we should all be wanting to advance, the kingdom of God. This should be a challenge to to us to to examine and, and consider the depth of our own commitment to Christ and the extent that we are willing to sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. Because sharing the gospel is loving people. Amen? Amen. Fourth and and lastly, uh, trusting in God's sovereignty. Despite the uncertainty, despite the the risks, Paul and others surrendered, surrendered to God's will. And in that, they acknowledged his sovereignty over their lives. We need to be able to trust in God's providence and surrender our own plans and our own desires to his perfect will, knowing that ultimately he is in control, and as long as we are in his hand, we will never be separated from him, amen? Remain obedient, persevere in the faith, demonstrate sacrificial love, and trust in God's sovereignty, even in the midst of your trials, amen? Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We encourage and acknowledge our our need for you and surrender ourselves to your will. (laughs) Strengthen us, Lord, and empower us to walk in obedience to your call. We dedicate our lives afresh to you, Lord, this morning, trusting in your provision and your guidance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.